Welcome to another episode of Inside the Recording Studio. I am Jody Whitesides, and with me as always is Mr. Chris Hellstrom. How are you today, Chris? Doing good, Jody. Doing well. How are you? I had a good day so far. There you go. As we're recording this, it's the day after Jonathan Quick of the LA Kings was traded. Oh, no. And... Yeah, it's sad because I wanted him to retire a king. And if anybody is a hockey fan that's listening, you you can probably relate. I understand why it happened, but it makes me feel some kind of way. There we go. That's what my morning has been like. But anyway. What you're trying to say is is that you don't want this player to do you want to play somewhere else. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh, nice promo there. I like yeah, that. See? Like, yeah, see? Yeah. Work that in. Look how you, yeah. Are you ever out of ideas? Yes. No, yeah. I have no idea. How would yeah, I know? I know. I know. Yeah. <laughs> what are well, we talking about today? Well, we are talking like about we're Roger. already kind of doing it. <laughs> yeah. I was trying to be slick there. We're talking about writer's block. Yes. And writer's block is obviously something that happens to everyone. And if it doesn't happen to you, but then- more Good power on to you. you. Yeah, you're the person that doesn't happen to. I wanted to start this off with, I remember reading a story about the uh, very talented musician and performer, composer, BT, Brian Tranzo. Yes. He was obviously a very prolific guy. He was a lot of output coming out. And he's scoring Did he die movies. and I'm not aware of this? You're talking no, about no, him no, in the but, past but I'm saying, but, <laughs> No, but, well, no, this was in the past where, when this interview was taking place. Right, that, that's why it might sound like that. But this was at a time where he was, I think he was doing like a couple of soul albums a year as well as scoring movies and mm. this a lot of output. And he was asked about writer's block because it looks like, well, this guy must write all the time, right? But he was asked, do you ever have writer's block? And he said, yeah, I get it all the time. Mm-hmm. And, well, what do you do? How do you get over it? He gets said, I just, I just write through it right. and just keep writing. And then had the line that always made it stuck with me. He goes, if half of the stuff that you write doesn't make you want to absolutely throw up, you're doing better than I am. (laughs) So in other words, they just finish ideas, even if they're garbage, nobody has to hear them. But it's nice to think that he was a guy that was sort of on top of his game at the time. And, you know, he's still doing quality stuff. Don't get me wrong. Everybody gets these writer's block things. So we thought we'd talk about a few ways to get over them, didn't we? I think so. That's the idea behind this. Anyway, you know, that story kind of brings up a memory of mine from attending Musicians Institute with Carl Schroeder. Ooh, I remember Carl. Carl was awesome. He was definitely a character for sure. He was like a sailor stuck in a musician's mindset. (laughs) He was, yeah. If anybody knows Carl Schroeder, they know why we're giggling. Of course, because because he would, it's my favorite thing about Carl. Because he would walk into the room, usually late, and here's a guy that looks like, I don't, what cartoon character could he possibly look like? Because it, I would think there's a character on The Simpsons that might, the old sailor dude actually on The Simpsons. Isn't there a sailor dude on The Simpsons? with? But he wears a cap and he's got I like white so. hair yeah. and a white beard and he's like, kind of guy. Well, that was Carl Schroeder without the cap. Yeah. And was- he would come into class and he would walk right up to the board, start writing stuff out on the staff, and he'd mutter under his breath all the time. 
mm-hmm. and you just hear him mutter, 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 fuck. <laughs> yeah. He's a rough and tumble kind of guy. <laughs> yes. But he had a similar story as BT in terms of writer's block in that regard. And I know this is not where we're getting into just yet. Literally would just be like, finish your ideas was his whole motto. It's just get them done. And if they're junk, throw them away. But his whole thing was, and I don't know how realistically true this is, is that it will take you 100 songs to write one decent song. So it's a learning process. It's a learning process in a sense. But it's also, you're not going to instantaneously just write hit after hit after hit. Right. I'd be willing to bet that Max Martin doesn't write hit after hit after hit, despite the sheer number of hits that he has. I know he has a whole team of people writing, and he kind of picks and chooses through that stuff and then arranges things. He's got a plethora of ideas being thrown at him, and I'm sure there's a whole lot of them that get tossed out. I'm sure, yeah. And he was also a guy that he put in the legwork. Oh, so for yeah, most people, for sure, like they, they hear like Max Martin, 20-year overnight success, right? But <laughs> um, way of looking at it. Yeah, he studied songwriting and everything. But everybody goes through these dry spells and things. Nobody is, as far as I know, and if you're that person, again, good on you, but you just put out quality material all the time. Right. That would be fantastic. We're going to talk about it from the standpoint of the producer's angle or maybe even a self-producing writer's angle on some tips to get over the concept of breaking through your writer's block. Yeah, and these are just food for thought, right? Take any of these and see if they spark something. Change your mindset on a few things. Hopefully. So, yeah, first thing on our list, Jody, what do we got? Listen to something that is not your normal genre. Right. So if you're a pop dude, listen to classical or hip-hop or jazz or country or something, something different. And if you're a fan of another genre like trap or EDM or something, listen to folk music or I don't know what. Listen to something that is not in your normal wheelhouse of what you would constantly listen to on your own. Right. That's a real good one because we tend to, obviously, we listen to stuff that we really like. A lot of times we can get stuck in that way where we're just regurgitating ideas and we seem to get stuck in the same kind of wheelhouse. And people say, well, every ACDC album sounds the same. It's like, yeah, but they're freaking ACDC. Right? So <laughs> and you're not. They, they, <laughs> right. So they can make it work. Yeah, just listening to something like you said, outside of your wheelhouse, and it could be a groove, it could be a chord change, it could be a melody line that you think about, oh, that was really, really cool how they went went up to the fourth there, and then they did all this other stuff, and the modulation went into anything that it could be. So any other style that you're not generally consuming, sure, I think can always spark things. So I got a prime example of that. I got a text from a friend a couple days ago saying, dude, check out this new album from my favorite band. And of course, it's a band of people that I know. And they went on to become very big for something that wasn't their original music. <laughs> oh. <laughs> but they've now gone back to doing original music and they're doing a really good job with it. It was interesting because it's right up my friend's wheelhouse of the type of stuff that he would listen to. As I'm listening to it, the album's not terrible. It's good. It's well done. And it sounds like a modern version of Southern Rock and Queen melded together in these guys. And it's kind of funny. So I sent him another one back, and I just sent him one song. And I said, check this one out. 
And he goes, this sounds like country. And I'm like, how? It is straight up pop. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so he obviously didn't get it. I enjoyed what he sent me. I don't think he enjoyed what I sent him. Oh, well, that's... So keep an open mind. When you go listening to something out of genre to get out of your block, keep an open mind. Absolutely. A lot of MI talk today, but I remember attending a seminar with the fusion great Scott Henderson. Mm, what a mastermind that guy is. Yeah. He was talking about this. And I remember, you probably remember too, because we were there at very similar times. They used to be like camps in the guitar community there. There was like, mm -hmm. it was the metal players and the jazz players. And that was basically <laughs> the big dividing it. line. Yeah. Scott said something kind of like, don't look down on other music genres just because that's not what you're part of. He said, you jazz guys, you can learn a lot from the rock and metal players and vice versa. Mm -hmm. He said, you jazz guys, you can learn a lot about energy and phrasing and things from the rock guys. And you rock guys, it doesn't hurt to learn some fancy fucking chords. <laughs> <you know? laughs> nice. So they, you can always learn something if you just open your mind well enough. And I think... Listening to something outside your wheelhouse can certainly trigger that. So that, that's a really, really good one. So what's our next one? Next one seems simple, but do we have a song title in yeah. mind when we're going to write? That can help. It can help a lot. It gives you your destination for your roadmap if you have a song title. And one thing that I can suggest on this, just about everybody has a smartphone. It's almost like it's ubiquitous at this point. Right. And just about every smartphone would have an app on there called Notes or has some sort of note-taking ability. And as you're milling about in your day, you might hear something go, oh, song title, doink, and write it down. I do that all the time. I've got hundreds of them sitting in my phone that are also tied to other devices that I have. So I recommend that one. Yeah, that's a really, really good one too because it can set up not only a cool sort of like sounding name, it can create an emotion, right? Because you generally hear, if you hear a song title that triggers something in you, you're probably getting a feeling about that song title. Mm -hmm. It sets you on the track of what, what kind of song that you're going to write. It sure. creates that mood. So that, that's a good one too. I, I do the same thing. I'll, every once in a while I'll hear something like, ooh, that sounds kind of cool. That sounds like a song title. You know? Exactly. That ties us into the next one, which is relatively similar, mm -hmm. but not necessarily title. What's the third one that we have here? Finding words and phrases that sound cool or interesting. Oh, blah, dee, oh, blah, da, la. Right. Going off on a M-I-L-L-E-N-I-A-L. -L -E <laughs> did I send you that one? <laughs> yes, you did. Yeah. <laughs> that was pretty funny. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's like, dude looks like a lady. Cruising with the ladies, for cruising you. for the ladies, yeah. Yeah, but anything that, that sounds cool, like there was a Desmond Child thing, he said he liked those things in opposition in a line, was I hate myself for loving you, where like you just said, dude looks like a lady, that kind of thing. And again, there, it could be just a line that sings well, that can trigger an idea of going like, okay, now you get a target, right? How do we write a song about hating yourself for loving somebody else, right? Sure. What, what does that mean? That's a cool one as well. I like that. But if we don't have a title or anything, words are escaping us at the moment. Or you're not just necessarily start? a lyricist. Yeah, I'm probably in that camp. I don't consider myself a very good lyricist. I have some ideas about melodies and things, but I, can I know when something that. doesn't sound good. What's that? <laughs> I can attest you, to that. Yes, I know. But 
I know my strengths and I know my weaknesses, and that's probably one of the weaknesses. <laughs> you know. Anyway, if we don't have that, it's a good idea to start with a cool groove. Just yeah. get a groove happening. See what that does to you. And when you're talking groove, are you talking just dialing up a loop or are you talking about actually programming some drums or smashing your way through a guitar or what? Either one. I think just whatever's handy. I've certainly done a lot of songs where a loop has been a trigger, mm. just been like a launching point. Yeah. And I've done it with like synth loops or whatever it is, just something that I'm like, oh, that sounds really, really cool. In a lot of cases, probably like half of the cases, that loop is not even there at the end when the song is done. You know it's who else just, does something like that? You? No, Timbaland. Oh, really? Yeah, that's his kind of thing. He'll go in and they'll start with some idea and then he'll start singing something. And by the time they're done with that track, the original concept of the groove that he laid in there isn't necessarily there. Sometimes it is, but a lot yeah. of the times it's not. Right. Because again, it kind of, for me at least, it creates a mood mm -hmm. where I can do that and get me in a certain mind space. Like, oh, that's really, really cool. And then as the track grows, that element is not needed anymore. So it's been replaced by something else. But that's a really, really cool thing. And I think for me, that's the real value of loops. Sure. To me, the way my workflow is. I know guys built tracks around them and they do it really, really well. But for me, it can be more of a launching point for something else. Yep, I agree with so, that one. Yeah. What else we got? Writing at a different tempo than you're normally used to can also help. Absolutely. So if you're usually writing at 120 or 100, try writing something at 70 or 50 or even 145 or something way outside your wheelhouse. Yeah. It can change you the way you approach things. Do you remember when DAWs were a relatively new invention and people started using them? Yes. There was a whole lot of songs coming out that were 120 BPM because it was simply <laughs> just, it was, it was the it was default. default set, yes. Right. I used to do a thing in my, we talked about our logic auto loads mm -hmm. before, right? And how we spent too much time building them and not enough time writing. <laughs> yeah, right. One thing I used to do to make me think about actually the tempo, force myself to do that, is to have my, my template at a way low tempo mm. so that I would be forced to think about it. What am I actually doing here and setting the tempo sure. to it after that? I also have things like I'm a little bit of a control freak with numbers and you stuff like say. that. So, <laughs> so I like to do things where it's like, okay, well, let's say you want to do a mid-tempo song, but don't have it 120, have it 114 sure. or 124, something just, and for whatever reason, I like them when they're not even on fives or whatever. It's just one of those things. So. Yeah. I know that but, you're probably aware of the fact that I used to combine four and five, our last two points, quite a bit, especially on the first solo record that I did where things were felt in one groove, but they had an underlying different motive of the groove going on. Like 12-8, yeah. even though it was felt in four, it was 12-8 or things of that nature. Yeah. I think you can look at those different ways because it's always up to whoever writes the song how they're feeling it. But I remember a couple of those cases where you explain something to me. It's like you go, no, 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 this is in six. <laughs> and, I, and I would think, 
No, it's not. It's just four. It's just felt with a triplet feel or whatever, right? right? right but right, but right. Uh, yeah, starting with something unusual there can can help. I know for me, I if I'm not thinking and just kind of going through the motions, as it were. I will tend to gravitate toward slower mid-tempo type of stuff. So I will have to make myself, okay, that was the fifth song for this project that's a similar tempo. Let's do a faster one now or let's do a really slow one or whatever. Speaking of doing things differently, let's take a word from our sponsors. And we're back. What's our next little bit on this list of breaking writer's block? Writing on a different instrument than you used to. Yeah. This, Put yourself in real unfamiliar territory. Because both you and I are primarily guitar players. Mm-hmm. When you've been playing for a not unsubstantial amount of time, <laughs> <laughs> I guess you tend to go towards certain patterns. Mm-hmm. It takes a fair bit of discipline to kind of get out of that. So one surefire way to do that would be to write on just a different instrument. Yep. Just go to piano, something that you're not in as much of a comfort zone. It in, might also right? help to simplify some of the ideas that you're doing too if you're not as familiar with the instrument. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And if you're not as comfortable with the instrument, you you can't help but to simplify. Yes. Right? Because you're not, okay, I'm not going to reach for the nine in every chord, right? Just, no, I got my fifths in the bottom and I'm adding a third with my right hand or whatever. That's a really, really good one. And I've found that I stumble upon melodies doing that because I'm simply not as adept at piano. I actually Did you write f- on the other instruments? I have multiples, um, actually. And I had a phone call this morning as you were speaking about this of a production situation that I did an entire album of mandolin music. And that's not my normal gig, but I tend to think any stringed instrument with frets, I can play it without too much trouble. They had me write an album on mandolin, and the guy was telling me, he's like, that's like my favorite album on our entire library. And I'm like, yeah, you say that to all the composers. (laughs) Yeah, right. So writing on a different instrument can help. And I did an entire album of things, and apparently one of those songs was all over radio. So I now have to go back to my PRO and go, hey— Where's my pay? <laughs> Guess what? Yes. You owe me money. And that's a good day. Yeah, no doubt. When you get that check. Yeah. What's another thing here on our list? If you don't have another instrument, maybe just try a different tuning on your guitar. How do you that retune will... a piano? <laughs> With a guitar tuner. Um, I'm just not what I'm saying, but it, yeah. No, I know. Retune your toms. No. That will drastically make you think different. It of can. how you're playing. Yes. Yeah. It certainly can. Because, yeah, just open tunings or, I mean, there's so many different tunings that, that will allow for cool stuff to happen. Like Although primary, like guitar thing that will do that, but yes. Yeah, right. So like cashmere. Yep. All the, I think just about everything on, or maybe not everything, but at least the song Friends on Led Zeppelin Three, mm-hmm. all open tuning type of stuff. So that is an interesting thing. Do you do that a lot or? I have a whole album that's alternate tunings. Yeah? Yeah. Is this considered naked? Every song on that is in a different tuning. I just remember one of the ballads that you had there that you had like a, a insane stretch that only somebody with Jody Whiteside's <laughs> fingers can do. It's you and Paul Gilbert that can do that. Actually, that's not uh, off that album. That's off it? of Practical Insanity. I know which one you're talking about. You're talking about Falling In. 
And that one, I have that incredibly ridiculous stretch. And there's a story about this. And this is going off our writer's block thing. But I was playing in a songwriters in the round, that particular song. And one of the other songwriters turns to one of the other songwriters. And these are two cats that have written hits for like Rascal Flats and other big bands. And he goes, motherfucker, did you see the way he was playing that? (laughs) (laughs) So, yes, I'm aware of that song. But No I was one that I thought you were going to bring up because that one's in an alternate tuning and it's Mm -hmm. not in the same tuning. I think about three songs each out of the 10 are all in a certain tuning. And I figured I'd do an album that was done in alternate tunings. I'd try to do three songs each so that I wouldn't have to constantly be tuning, 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 tuning after each song in the set. So right. that one has a lot of different tunings on it. And that's called but, as this. But that's a, diff- that's a cool idea though, because that makes you think different and you sort of set a goal for yourself. Like Very I'm going to have, you know, three songs in this tuning, mm-hmm. three songs in another, different tunings. Think about the Stones when Keith Richards, discovered like open G or just open tuning, (laughs) right? So, and that's why they sound like they do because of Keith, you know? Yes. Next up is something very similar to writing in different tunings. And that is what? Writing in a different key. Yes. Now this can be a little bit dependent on if you're the singer. Because I think some singers have keys that they favor Oh, I think just about every singer has that. They're going to have keys where their voice sounds good. So if you're writing with a vocalist and you're not the vocalist, think about the fact that you may have to change the key. Also from a standpoint of writing melodies and and chord changes, I've raised my hand here. I'm sort of like Mr. D minor. I like D minor (laughs) all the time because it's the saddest of all keys. Yeah. Spinal tap pun notwithstanding, I, I tend to do that because it, it allows me to do a drop D thing and sure. I can have all these big heavy guitars. I think that can be something with metal bands particularly. Let's say that you're tuning down, you're playing in C or you're playing in just drop D or maybe even seven strings like B or A or whatever, uh-huh. right? You run the risk a little bit of painting yourself in a corner. Because if you're doing a drop tuning, there's probably a reason why you're in those tunings is because you like that sound. So that will a lot of times translate into that all the songs on your album are going to be in the same key. Bad idea. Well, I guess it depends on your singer. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it depends on like what it is, the, the entirety of the thing, right? If, yeah. it, you, if you're doing like a death metal thing, Variety might come more from like sections in the song, that type of thing. Do you know what else is handy in that for changing keys? Lay it on me. Lay it on me. Capos. For those guitar players and bass players, capos are a really useful little tool for changing your key. Unless you're just a lazy bastard and you just don't want to learn anything but your open chords and you're just using a capo now. But but it is is a good tool, obviously. I mean, would it be a... uh, here Comes the Sun without a capo? I don't know. It's a good question. Well, prob- well, it definitely wouldn't sound the same. No, or, it sure would Or um, Hotel California, for example. Speaking yeah. of both of those, you mentioned yeah. two gigantic bands that had multiple songwriters in them, and that's our next point. Bring yeah. in another songwriter. Bounce yeah, those sounds, ideas off of somebody else. Or It sounds really obvious. Be but, the sounding you know. board of another songwriter as well. Right. Yeah. Feed off of each other, give ideas, instant feedback, that type of thing. Mm-hmm. It's very easy that we get to inside our own heads, I think, when we're writing. 
that judgment voice is, oh, and that's not good. That's not good. Or worse yet, probably you go, oh, this is brilliant. Everything is awesome. But no. <laughs> I think that's more no, my isn't. problem right there. This <laughs> <laughs> is so, the most awesome thing ever. <laughs> yeah. I mean, co-writing, it's almost like you're bringing on another live person as opposed to listening to a different genre. You're getting some other type of feedback. Well, let's not throw out the fact that there's AI ability now. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, yeah that, that's a whole other episode, I think. Right. Yeah. The last one that we have, number 10. Is sort of like a springboard for almost unlimited ideas. This was developed by Brian Eno. I want to say 70s. I don't know. Uh, but it's something called Oblique Strategies. They had an app for this at some point. Yeah, there were apps. But the way it started out was just a deck of cards yes. that they would have and had all of these sort of random things written on them when they were stuck in writer's block or what to do with the song or whatever. Think of this and as like they, a giant tarot card deck meant for artistic musicians and artists. <laughs> yeah. With just little advice that would on there and that could trigger something that would help them to finish the song or whatever it happened to be at the time. Sure. So you can now find, I mean, you do a Google search and you'll find PDFs of it. And I'm not sure there's probably an app as well that you could have on your phone. It has a lot of cool stuff in there. Some really esoteric stuff as well. Yeah. You know, <laughs> like but what drugs were they on when they thought of that concept? Probably a fair <laughs> bit of them. <laughs> I used to have one of those actually taped on my desk. And it was something that I would constantly sort of battle with. Mm -hmm. It was, don't be afraid of things just because they're easy to do. Ooh, good one. That was to stop me from sort of getting too inside my head. Oh, no, this is not good enough. This is too ordinary. This is this and this and that. Everybody's done that. But sometimes that actually works. You don't have to reinvent the wheel every time you do something. Right. So that was one that carried some weight for me, and I used to have that. Are there any Very books cool that you've read? There actually is. I became aware of this book, an author. Her name is Julia Cameron. Mm -hmm. It is a book called The Artist's Way. Mm, good book. You've read it as well. Yep. And it, it's essentially like a 12-step for creative people. I'm not big on necessarily too much like the self-help or like, woo, look at this, like <laughs> hippie-esque type of stuff. But this one I really enjoyed, and it actually works. It's a series of exercises that you do during a week and to just kind of trigger your creativity. I recommend it. I haven't done it again in a while, but at the time when I did it, it had a big impact on my creativity, that's awesome. for sure. So what about you? You mentioned something as well before we started recording here. Yes, I mentioned a book called Not Pulling Strings. It's sort of right. similar-esque in the idea of the artist's way, but it is a good book as well. I'll recommend that book, Not Pulling Strings. Cool. With that, we'll move on to our Friday Finds. Chris, what have you got this week? I got the email that Neural DSP, we're going to reveal a new amp. Ooh. 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 And you know, me and Amp Sims go <laughs> way back. Do they? Um, and <laughs> as of the recording, they have now released that they have a Mesa Boogie Mark II Ooh, emulation. Nice. And I believe this is actually endorsed by Mesa Boogie. 
because there's a lot of boogie logos on this thing. <laughs> if you're unfamiliar with the Mark II, it's Metallica, Steve Lukather, Steve Ray Vaughan played through all of these. It's a great sounding the lamps and I'm going to spend some time messing around with it and see what I think. I thought that was certainly worthy of a Friday find. Sweet. And what about you? Well, mine harks back to last week when you mentioned Nembrini coming out with the ADA plugin. Yeah. The ADA MP1 to be exact. Mm-hmm. I went and I bought the damn thing. <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> so my Friday find for this week is the ADA plugin from Nimbrini for the MP1. And then I went and spent several hours playing around with it and texted you and said, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds just like the ADA MP1 that I had. I couldn't believe how awesome they did on this recreation of the MP1. It sounds so much like it. It brought back some pretty good memories. <laughs> oh, that's cool. Because I remember you texting me and you go, do you know what power amp I had with this? And we had the same, the same power, power amp, amp with, with our ADA. ADA. Yeah. That was crazy. And we carbon. <laughs> yeah. And we, and we didn't know each other at the time. So no, it wasn't we like we were going to emulate each other's rigs here. But yeah, that was pretty funny. I hope next up Nembrini goes for the Mesa Boogie Triaxis or maybe Neural DSP will do that. Although I still own my Triaxis. I do not still own my ADA. So that's why I got the plug-in. Yes. Well, I still own my Soldano, but I use the, <laughs> the, <laughs> the Neural DSP instead. one. Yep. Yes. That's my Friday find. While we've nice. got your attention, we ask that you go to InsideTheRecordingStudio.com and sign up for our mailing list. Doing so will get you weekly reminders about the Tuesday tips when they come out, and we'll make sure you don't miss any future episodes of this incredible podcast. Send us an email at goldstar, G-O-L-D-S-T-A-R, at InsideTheRecordingStudio.com with the phrase BLOCKS. And you'll get something cool back in your inbox. If you have a topic or suggestion for Chris and I to explain in a future episode, contact us at the contact page and we'll put it into consideration for a future episode. With that, I'll say see you next week. Thanks for listening, people. Have a good one, Jody. Jody.